Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Chenergy Coffee Company podcast. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit different in that uh, I don't want necessarily to talk about only financial matters or accounting matters or economics matters, but I want to talk about something that is uh, a bit of a buzzword that has been thrown around and about uh, in the last few years, and that, be- that becomes even more relevant uh, in this uh, times of uh, high uncertainty and with the numbers of COVID cases again creeping up. This topic is resilience. Now, I have to say I'm not a medical practitioner. I don't know much about resilience in terms of medical terms or in terms of physical or even philosophical terms. I just want to share a little bit the point of view of an average guy that had his ups and downs and a few of my thoughts on resilience. Hopefully that might help someone out there. And of course, being this uh, the blog of someone who's worked or trying to work in finance for most of his life, uh, I will have a small session also about financial resilience, meaning the ability <clears throat> to build some uh, slack in your uh, uh, finances and the ability to think about how to win, how to navigate these uh, stormy weathers that we're uh, crossing right now and that we will be crossing for the near future, near to medium future, because it's very difficult to understand where all this is going to lead, where the economy is going to land, where our daily lives are going to look like in the next even few years. So resilience uh, is uh, the favorite words of uh, the day for coaches, business coaches, consultants. And uh, in theoretical terms, uh, there is so much out there that it's difficult to uh, weed the, the grain from the chaff. So I will try to give the point of view of someone who had to become resilient out of necessity. So let's start what I mean about resilience. So if you've ever been trained in combat sports or martial arts, you know that getting punched in the face hurts. It's not a nice experience. I think it's a useful experience, though I would not advise anyone to try to be punched in the face just to see what's the results. And uh, if you've been, for example, a boxer, after a a few years of practice, uh, you are, at least I'm still amazed by the amount of punches that someone can take before going down. So is someone who is able to take a lot of punches resilient? No. I don't think so. Resilience for me is not the ability to take punches. It's the ability to pick your battles and stay in the fight and keep a modicum of resources to keep functioning. That's a very different thing. It's uh, about choosing your battles wisely and fight when it makes sense and sometimes also find a way to live to fight another day. Also because there isn't really as a human being an alternative. 
we either live to fight another day or we die. And that's actually my first thought. It might be a bit bleak for most people, but for me it has been kind of a mantra that has saved me in times of uh, hardship. I mean, my hardship are nothing compared to some of the hardship that I know and some of the hardship that I've seen myself. But we all have our own struggles and our own battles. So you need to know and even fear, but know that one day you're going to die. So the alternative is not between necessarily a good and a bad life, but the major alternative, the first alternative that we are confronted with ever since we were born, it's the alternative between life and death. And we live in times, and especially we living in the West, fortunate enough to live in these peaceful and reasonably rich times, that's an alternative that doesn't touch our daily lives unless we have a serious illness. It's an alternative that doesn't seem to touch our daily lives. The same way that, for example, someone in developing countries, this, in this, they have to face this alternative on a much more practical and concrete level. However, it's important to put things into perspective if you want to develop some of the, I call them, shoulders to to weather the storm. So, might be trite, might be banal, but the reality is that there is no alternative to keep going. And I'll keep going. Um, we always think as having a future in front of us. And here is a, an interesting thing. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks I'm t- talking about, didn't see the future as something coming in front of us, rather as something coming from behind. And if you think about it, uh, the future is not something that is really in front of us, otherwise we would see it. It's something that comes from behind. So we really don't know and we can't control what happens in our daily grind. What we can control is how we react. And very often we cannot control even that because there is a huge component of genetics, of culture, of uh, daily circumstances. However, for sure, what we can do is learn to put things into perspective and to understand that we always have choices. These choices may not be optimal, and sometimes the choices are between two evils, but we always have choice, and that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful realization. To get to this realization, uh, for me, the first key word is fairness. Fairness does not exist. I mean, you should eliminate the term fair or unfair from your vocabulary. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to assess whether a situation is fair or unfair, or you shouldn't get uh, you shouldn't get opinions on whether something that is unfair can be fixed, or you should just passively accept something that is unfair. But the reality is that there is a certain degree of bad things that happen. They are unfair, but they happen anyway. I mean. Why do bad things happen to good people? And still, the good people very often are good because bad things happen to them. So why am I advocating to um, eliminate the concept of fair and unfair? Because that's a value judgment. 
And once you start to apply value judgment to facts, you might have your sight distorted. So if something happens to you that you perceive as unfair, the anger might, because you get angry when something you, when you perceive something as unfair, and rightly so, the anger might uh, bar you to take the right steps. And very often the right steps are not many. I mean, very often there isn't even a right step. There is a less wrong step. So as a boxer that is cornered and uh, is taking punishment, very often the only step to take might be to raise your guard or to tap out, to say, okay, I'm out of here. Is that the right step? It's the step that saves you and that allows you to fight another day. I can give an example. Um, about one year ago, more or less exactly one year ago, I got fired from my job. I didn't get fired for uh, performance matters, I just got fired because the company had a different orientation and they decided that they needed different people to do this job. Which is something that when happens is, uh, it's not easy to digest it, it's just something that of course, you, you can perceive it as unfair. How is this possible? I worked so hard, my performance is well, why you fire me? Yet you still get fired. And it's not something you will really fight once this happens. Uh, it's uh, something that is happening to a lot of people these days. Is that fair or unfair? It doesn't really matter because as a matter of fact, it is happening. So what does it mean in this case to build resilience? Again, very often this thing happens unexpectedly. So that's where this view of the future coming from behind is, is useful. You couldn't see it coming, or maybe you would have seen it, but you couldn't really do much. I mean, you can see the shadows that you project on the wall in front of you of something that comes from behind, but you don't know if it's you know, a fly that is just very close to a lamp, and so it projects a huge shadow or something really big and bad and so the reality is that you can do something about it only once it's there and probably not much how do you process this well first uh, my first advice is uh, try to look for uh, a way out laterally. It's like trying to avoid the heat rather than take it full with the full force on your face because that's the brave thing to do. The brave thing to do is to live to fight another day. You have family, you have friends, you have responsibilities and you have a responsibility towards yourself not to slide in the darkness, not to get enraged. Because rage is a very bad advisor. That's true in everything. Imagine like something a bit lighthearted. Imagine you're investing money on a share of a company that seems like the best investment you would do. You're a seasoned investor, you have done your homework, you have studied the company, you have followed it, you decide to invest. All of a sudden, it turns out that in that specific company there was a huge fraud and the company is bankrupt. You have lost all the money that you put in that investment. What do you do? You can sue them, but that's a possibility. But is it really going to help you in the short, but even, even in the long run? Probably not. 
the best way to do it is to just let it go. Not easy. How do you build the ability to let go things? By building the resources to face the issue that you're facing. It's not always possible. I mean, some, some events are not only unpredictable, but also impossible to get out of. I mean, sometimes you will get hammered in a way that it will knock you out. And then the only thing to do is to try to get back up. However, even to get back up, it's important to have that little spare of resources, that little spare pride to get back up. And how do you build it? I've listened to a few shows, I mean, one is Tim Ferriss, he talks about Stoic philosophy. I like Stoic philosophy, I've been reading Seneca, I've been reading Marcus Aurelius, actually I want to name my son Marcus Aurelius, but then for, let's say, cultural reason, it didn't happen. I mean, it's one, it's probably my favorite Roman emperor. Um, it can help certain people, it doesn't help everyone. So, um, yes, uh, building a philosophical approach to life that allows you to understand that things happen and you cannot control them and sometimes you just need to face the music, uh, it's important, but I don't think it really helps. I mean, the reality is that when something happens, you don't want philosophy. You need something quick and dirty to try, at least to find a way out of your specific circumstances. So, it's, uh, it's there where I want to go. I want to share some experiences and some ways that has allowed me to more or less survive and keep functioning. I don't want to get too personal because I had my dark moments, some very dark, some a bit less. And I can, I can tell you, I can swear that being fired was by far not the worst moment of my life. I've been fired twice, never for performance reasons. One time I was ready because, you know, I was in a company that hired a bunch of people for a specific project, the project fails, we get all made redundant. That's easy to live with because, you know, you've done your best. Of course, it's not, it's not fun, but you've done your best, you can weather the storm somehow. It's not a storm, it's just a, a shower. There are things that are much more serious and that's where you need the resilience. So resilience is the ability to find or to keep stashed away a few resources in your head, in your bank account, in your community, that when you get hit even hard, you're able to find the motivation to get back up. That's resilience for me. Um, because, as in, I, I like the combat sport analogy because I'm a long time boxing fan, I trained myself even though I never really fought. It's not getting knocked out because everyone gets knocked out sooner or later. Uh, Mike Tyson seemed invincible and he, got knocked out. Muhammad Ali, he was the best of them all, but he got knocked out. He also found his Larry Holmes or his George Foreman. 
Um, George Foreman himself, uh, he got knocked out, he got a, a hiatus in his career, and then he went back and he became the world champion of the world, the oldest world champion of the world. Now, that's something. Okay, this is due to what? It was due to their ability to bounce back. And to get the ability to bounce back is all about preparation. You will never be able to prepare for every happening in life, but you can be prepared, at least mentally, to have the mental process that allows you to get back up. How do you do it? Here, I want, I want to try to become practical. It's difficult because it's a bit of an elusive topic, but I can give you some example. Let's say that all of a sudden you lose your job and you get divorced. You are in a very tough spot. Maybe you have even some health issues. In that, uh, philosophy is not going to help much. What might help is uh, first uh, having the knowledge that bad things happen randomly, so you don't have necessarily a fault for what happened. And it's important not to be... I mean, guilty sense are useful in certain situations because they stop you from doing stupid shit. However, it's important to know that sometimes stuff just happens and you don't have control over it and you shouldn't fustigate yourself because, oh my God, I did this and that. If I would have gone differently, maybe. But you didn't. You didn't. So it's important always to analyze what happens and to draw some lessons out of it. At least not to repeat the stupid same mistakes that you did. If you were cheating your wife, and your marriage failed, well, if you get the chance to get remarried, maybe you want to keep your pants up. That's an obvious uh, thing, and there's nothing about resilience here. It's just about being a decent human being, if you want, whatever that means to you. However, sometimes uh, it's not you, it's the other person. And then what you do? What you do is keep a certain level of resources that you don't allow anyone to touch. So let's go back to the economic example. So you are investing, you want to make money in investing. You know that the Maxim go big or go home very often works, very often, not always. You know that you're not going to save yourself into wealth, meaning it's difficult to become rich by saving. That's a fact. So you decide to go between inverted comma all in. Now you do your investment, it goes wrong. It happened to everyone, even Warren Buffett has lost his money. Uh, what do you do? Well, you need to be prepared. It's all about preparation. So for example, you want to invest in a risky asset that has potential for a 100% upside but hence it also has potential for a 100% downside. For example, you start to say yourself, I do not leverage. Because if I leverage, leverage can work both ways. Like imagine really a lever that is used to, to lift something. It works both ways. 
So if you are on the good side of the lever, you're going to have better result, but if you are on the bad side, you're going to lose a lot more than what you put into it. So the first thing is, okay, how much can I lose? And you have to be very realistic about it. And very often this preparation will stop you to take some decisions. You need to evaluate what is this number for you or for... So, prepare. Preparation is not something you do once or you do twice per year. It's something you do on a daily basis. It has to become a habit. Whatever you look at, you need to look in terms of risk and rewards. Always. Being it a, a personal relationship, being it a, a investment, a new job, a new situation, moving abroad, it's always, it always has to be dealt in terms of risks and rewards. And ideally you might want to be very honest about, about this risk and reward analysis because it's very easy to get carried out and overweight your own ability and overweight your uh, potential rewards and under, underweight your, uh, your risk and reward. I'm usually the opposite. I tend to overweight the risk and to underweight the rewards, but that's because probably how I grew up. However, you need to try to be as honest as possible with yourself. Don't varnish things up. Be as blunt as you can. Use the words wisely, meaning if something is brown and it smells bad, don't say that maybe it's chocolate. It's probably not. So, coming to our point, like, what does it mean to prepare? Well, in an athletic setting, that all, that's obvious. You prepare your cardio, so your endurance, you prepare your muscles. But what if, what if you get punched when you didn't prepare? That's a tough spot to be. That's why you need to prepare. There's no alternative. There is no easy way out. Same way, when you get fired, how do you do? Well, if you didn't prepare, it's going to be tough. And I know what I'm talking about. I've been now un unemployed for, for a year. And so probably you might say, okay, so what kind of uh, advice can you give? I mean, what do you know? I know what I did wrong. I didn't develop a network in the geographical area where I am, so my job search is a lot more difficult compared to someone who developed a network didn't develop alternatives, so I'm stuck in a finance career where finance careers have a lot of people that have chosen my same profession and jobs are actually dwindling and I have younger people that <clears throat> can do the same job for a lower price. It's a tough spot to be. However, I'm not desperate. Why am, am I not desperate? I'm not desperate because, well, when it comes to my finances, I've been responsible. I've also been lucky, yeah, because I didn't lose a lot of money on certain investment. I didn't splurge around. I decided, and that has been my mantra ever since I, I started to understand a bit about money, I decided to live within my means. What's that, that, what does that mean? It means that now I have a cushion that for a while, and not forever, is allowing me to try to weather the storm, it was especially with this COVID crisis. It's not going to happen 
and three minutes that I'm going to find a job. However, being responsible with my finances allows me to still provide for my family and being able to try different things. I started a coffee business, it didn't work out very well. However, here we come to lesson number one. My business failed. Why am not poor? Because even before starting the business venture, I did a certain plan, of course. The plan was not accurate, but I kind of built some stack. I used some prudence in the figures. And I decided that the amount of cash that I could afford to lose was X. If I would lose that cash, I would quit. This is a little bit counterintuitive because we get bombarded with this idea of positive thinking, go big or go home, fake it until you make it and all this blah blah blah. Well, that works well for certain, but there is a huge confirmation bias about being overly positive because that's what we get bombarded every day. We get social media with people that shows that they have better life than ours, with more money, with more friends, better looking girlfriends and so on and so forth. Yeah, but that's all hogwash. You need to understand that your circumstances are unique to you and to you only, and you should only mind your own circumstances when it comes to build the resilience, hence to when it comes to build the resourcefulness. That's the key word to weather whatever storm might come towards you. So, for example, I go back to finance because it's just an easy, you know, money, it's numbers, so it's an easy topic because, you know, building the mental strength to have the resourcefulness, that's also important, but it's a much more complicated matter and I'm not a psychologist, so I don't want to talk about stuff that I know only laterally, let's say. So, for example, you need to look at your own expenses. That's obvious, but I see so many people that just don't do it. My first advice is to make a list every month or so of needs and wants. What are needs and what are wants? What do I need in December in Switzerland? I need a warm coat. That's a need. It's not a want. I need a warm coat because it's cold outside and I need to be able to go outside. Otherwise, I mean, I'm stuck at home and what do I do? So I need a warm coat. What is a want? I want a stylish parka from this very nice Canadian manufacturer because it makes me look good. That's a want. Is it necessarily? Obviously not. Okay, this is an extreme example, but it's one good example. Well, let's say, what do I need? I need coffee. I personally really need coffee. I don't function without coffee. Am I addicted? Yeah, probably I am. I also like it. I mean, I really like the taste. So I can buy capsules and a machine to have coffee, or I can buy an Italian mocha and use a coffee mix with a certain percentage of Robusta, which is obviously going to be cheaper, and I still get my coffee. Actually, I get more caffeine from the, need, from the area that I call need than from the cold want. Of course, I'm not going to be able to brag about my new coffee machine, but as a matter of fact, my caffeine fix is taken care of at a fraction of the price. So it's important uh, 
to have this list, not necessarily because you always need to stay on the need side and not on the want side. When you have the money to afford the want, you can, I mean, it's your right, it's your money, you need to know what, what to do with it, and it's, if you earned it, honestly, no one can tell you what to do with it. I'm just giving you a framework to understand how to manage them responsibly. So once you go between the needs and wants, you might start to decide to prioritize the wants that you might or might not afford yourself, being it food, being it going out, being it whatever, whatever you want to have to give a little bit of quality to your life. My general rule is that usually I take only two wants every month when I can afford it. Now I go back to the needs. But giving yourself this lower limit of what I need to function allows me also to be able to pivot almost instinctively towards the lower end of my expenses. And, and, and this actually applies to everything. Like imagine you're looking for a new flat. How many people there are in your family? Three, it's you, your wife, your daughter. How much space do you need? Probably a single room in a, in a shared apartment is not going to cut it. You need an apartment. Do you need five rooms with view on the lake? Probably not. You want it? Well, of course you want it. It's nice to have a nice apartment. But again, the difference in price between three-bedroom apartments in a reasonable part of town is, in Switzerland, I don't know, 1,800 francs, five-bedroom apartments overviewing Lake Zurich is 6,000. It's a huge difference. So, the same goes for the coat we were talking about. I can buy a nice coat from a decent brand, from a decent quality brand for 350 euros. I can buy the nice parka from the notorious Canadian manufacturer for 1,500. Again, that's a huge thing. And once you start to apply this strategy, strategy, this technique, you start to, think, to see that savings pile up really fast. And all of a sudden, after a year or two, you might be sitting on a cushion of a few tens of thousands, or even a few thousands, depending where you live, that might be enough, that gives you that little freedom, that little tranquility, that if you get hit hard in the face by a punch in the form of being fired, all of a sudden, you have the ability to take it. Is it going to hurt? Yes, it's going to hurt. But your ability to get back up after the punch is going to be a bit better because, for example, you might decide to retrain yourself, to take a course, to go to university, and you have the money in your pocket to pay for your course, get your new qualification that allows you to find a new job. Ha! Of course, this is resilience. The resilience is not in avoiding the punch, I mean, that's uh, deftness. The resilience is not in being able to be fired and kicked out of your apartment and still being able to function, because that's... Uh, I don't know even how to define it. That's uh, 
um, that's been tough probably, I don't know, but resilience and toughness are not the same thing. I mean, for me, actually, you shouldn't tame even for resilience, you should aim for resourcefulness, for having always something up your sleeve that you can take out and uh, use it to prop yourself back up. That's what it is. Even in in mind terms, I mean, you start to imagine like myself, you're sending CVs out for every possible role for which you might be qualified and you keep on getting rejection after rejection after rejection. It hurts. It hurts, it's a fact, because we don't like to get rejected. One way for me to get over this part is that I know I have still my little cushion that allows me to say, okay, not this one, it's going to be the next one. Uh, I look, you know, so for example, on LinkedIn, you can see how many people have applied for a job. So for a position, it's easy to one position in finance, it's easy to 150 people. Now, even if we imagine that of 250, 185, 200 are less qualified than you, there is still another 49 that are more qualified. They're lucky. Or they're connected somehow to the company, you don't know it. So beating yourself up because you keep on getting rejection is not a very clever strategy, also because it reduces your amount of mental resources. My advice, and this is actually, for example, the reason I started this podcast, together with a few other things, my advice is to put it into perspective. I was one of 250, it can happen, probably I need to change my strategy. You'll have developed a network, for example, or maybe looking for work in an area where you have a network, or maybe retrain, or maybe moderate your expectations. That sometimes is a clever strategy. The only way is not up. The way can be up, down, lateral, but of course you need to be able to have the freedom to decide to go laterally. Sometimes you don't have this freedom. I mean, of course, if you are a, a, a cleaning person with a minimum wage job, it's very difficult to say, okay, I take a step back. I can take a step back from finance manager to senior accountant or even to accountant. If you are already the accountant, step back is, is intern and you cannot probably go back to be an intern. So that's where it's important that you get a little bit of money set aside to have the freedom to take the step back. Does this uh, work uh, for every possible situation? No, because there are situations in which no matter the amount of preparation, you're not ready and it's going to hurt. That's where... Uh, that's where... Uh, the mental resilience comes into play, and that's a whole different matter, it's very difficult. I mean, yeah, of course you can uh, train that as well, but it's much more complicated than people are different, and the same situation, some people might <clears throat> be able to cope, and some people might not, and you don't know it until the moment you face the situation. So we go back to the, our wise ancestor in Greece, it comes from behind. You don't know how hard it comes, you don't know, don't know how fast it comes, and sometimes, no matter how well prepared you are, you are going to get knocked out. You're going to get knocked out. And it's going to hurt. 
and some people may not get up again. That's why I go back to my first advice, that is, don't think in terms of fairness. Especially don't think in terms of fairness when it applies to your own personal circumstances. I mean, richer are getting richer and poorer are getting poorer and uh, the environment has been destroyed. Is that fair or unfair? Of course it's unfair. Should you have an opinion on that? Of course you should. But that, that, that doesn't change your own circumstances. If you get a new boss who doesn't understand you, or maybe you did something stupid, and you do something stupid and you get fired, and you think like, but that's unfair! It's unfair! They shouldn't have me fired me! I worked for 10 years spotlessly and I took one mistake, and one mistake is enough for... Yes, one mistake is enough. Because maybe the new boss doesn't know you, maybe an older boss that knows what you can do sees a mistake in a spotless career. A new boss might just see the mistake that you, you have just done. So, is it fair or unfair? It just is. You just need to act on it. So, getting devoid of this idea that there are unfair and fair things happening to you is a powerful thing. It's probably, to me at least, it was the most powerful piece of advice that I had, because did unfair things happen to me? Yes, I also probably did some stupid stuff. So it's a mix, it's never black and white, life is never black and white. I, I always, I'm always very skeptical about people that tell you things are X, and there is Y, and X is right, and Y is wrong. It doesn't work like that. There are always a few sides. Not even two sides of the picture, there are always a few sides of the picture. For sure, <clears throat> what matters is how you look at facts. So if you look at facts in a manichaistic way, so in a way that it's good, bad, fair, unfair, that's not going to get you far. The best thing you can do is try to get different point of views around things and analyze with your limited mental abilities, because we're all limited. Try to get different points of view. And then maybe if you get a different point of view, you might be able to put things into perspective and say, okay, yeah, it sucks, because, for example, go back to the original example, being fired sucks. But if you keep spending time about thinking how unfair it was, it ain't gonna help. It's better that you say, okay, I was fired. What can I do now? What can I do now? Does this being fired define me? Well, you can let, let it define you. If I would present myself as uh, unemployed, I let the fact that I lost my job define my situation. I prefer to, to present myself as uh, a finance professional, because that's what I know how to do. I can present myself as an entrepreneur, I think that's a bit of a big word, because if you just started a business and failed, you're not really an entrepreneur, but you tried. You've already done more than most people even there. You tried. So, uh, you are a human being. That's what matters. You are a human being. You are imperfect. You do stupid stuff. You should try to limit the stupid stuff. You should try to build the resources to deal sometimes with your own stupidity and sometimes with other people's stupidity. 
because stupidity is a fact. It's not fair, it's not unfair, it's just a fact. So the take-home lesson for me is stop thinking fair and unfair and start to think about what can you do when you face something. I had actually one conversation with a Jungian therapist who was helping me at a certain stage. And this is, this is an interesting one. Let's talk about, for example, you, we look at St. Peter's Dome. So imagine you're a traveler that is getting to Rome from the Via Aurelia, which is northwest of the city. And at a certain stage, you start to see this huge temple. What it is? You would say it's a church. So it's a place where people get connected with God. Very positive meaning. You might be a geologist and you see marble and bronze and all the stones and metals that have been used to build this church. You might be a historian and you might see the amount of resources poured into it, the slavery, the stealing, the corruption that has led the church to have the money to build this amazing piece of, of monument. And you might have a very negative connotation of St. Peter's Church. Or you might be an architect and you might see the lines and the style and the way the static works, etc., etc. So, who is right? What is St. Peter's Church? Is all of these things, depending from the point of view. The fact is that the church is there. It's big. It's made of stones. For some people, is a way to thank God for his gifts. For some other people, for a Protestant, is the very impersonation of the corruption of the Catholic Church. But at the end of the day, it's a bunch of stones and other materials stuck together to the form that St. Peter's Church is. It's all that. And it's just a church. It's a building. It's not that complicated. A person is, is enormously more complicated because we're the result of our genetics, which is random. Some people are born clever, some people are born dumb, some people are born black, some people are born white, some people are born in Switzerland, some people are born in Burundi. That makes these people very different. So there isn't a one-size-fit-all, one as they say, you know? But for sure, all the people can and should look at their circumstances trying to get as many different points of view as possible and try to put all these things into perspective. Uh, and this is the first step to, bring, to build the resources that you need to build. Build the resources means build the, you know, the hidden wealth that can allow you to weather the storm. I'm not going to say thrive, because thriving is relative. Even thriving, like let's imagine the CEO of Amazon, the owner, he is the richest man in the world, yet he got divorced. Is he thriving? Well, by any financial measure, hell yes, he's thriving, but we don't know how this guy will think, how he spends his days, if he's happy. Whereas I meet, I've met people that were happy with nothing. 
it's more difficult to be happy with nothing. Let's not kid it uh, ourselves. But at the end of the day, even uh, going back to our example of the financial resources, even the financial resources are relative. If you need, need to spend $50,000 a month, uh, it's going to be tough to build financial resilience. Because you need to, if you want to have, let's say, 10 months worth of expenses, we're talking about half a million dollars. That's a lot of money. Um, if you can live on 1,000 euros a month, uh, all of a sudden, uh, to survive a year, you need 12,000. It's a lot more affordable. So it's up to you. The way to build this resilience is building the ability to analyze your situation, to understand what you want, what you need, and to understand that stuff not always happens for a reason, can happen for a reason, it can happen for no reason, it can be your fault or someone else's fault, but whatever the case, when something happens, you need to be able to look at it and look for solutions. That's what resilience is, is the ability to look for finding the resources, to, to have the mental resources and strength to look for a possible way forward, or sometimes even to look and say, I stop here. That's the right thing to do. This is resilience. So never forget, the basic comes to understand that value judgments can help you only so far. The best thing to do is to try to keep yourself in a way that you always have at least a little bit of pride, a little bit of uh, strength to take a hit and get back up. Personally, I do it by trying to analyze things and trying to prepare and keep always something stashed away for the day I might be hungry. Your situation might be different, but stopping thinking whether something is unfair or unfair, stopping thinking that you are a victim or stopping thinking that you should have seen it coming is probably a good advice that I can offer to anyone who is listening. I'm trying to, I'm trying to offer it to my kids, I'm trying to offer it to my friends. And that's another thing. Uh, we are social animals. We cannot function as individuals. I, do, I believe in individual responsibility, but I don't believe in people going at it alone. You're only as strong as the community you build around yourself. Nurture that community and always think that the community is probably your biggest asset. You call it a network, you call it a family, you call it friends, call it whatever you want. But alone, you're not going very often to get far. So take-home lesson for the first part of this show is fair and unfair doesn't exist. Always try to look at things from as many different perspectives as you think and be prepared, as it's written in the Bible, be, be prepared because you don't know the time or the place. I'm not sure I'm coding right. Be prepared. Always try to get something that gives you the mental tranquility to overcome most, not all, but most of the difficulties that are thrown at you. That most of the time, nothing is personal. Things just happen. 
and you need to live with it. And finally, you need to live with it. There is no alternative. We are finite uh, being. We have a start and a finish. It's about the journey. It's about how you take yourself into this journey. And so the alternative, there is no alternative to the journey. If you come to a wrong patch of road, you need to go over it. So by being prepared and being trained on a daily basis, that can help you to weather most of the storm. Not all of them, but most of them, yes. So that's for the second part of the of this podcast about resilience. And here I want to go more into my comfortable, more comfortable field, let's say, which is obviously financial matters and economic matters. So how to build financial resilience? Uh, this is a fairly simple lesson that can be applied to a person, to a business. And I've seen some of the most successful businesses applying these lessons. That's why I'm confident in it. Is that a lesson that applies to everyone? No, because there are also businesses that have thrived by doing the complete opposite. But I feel that the businesses that don't go the prudent way are the exception rather than the rule. Um, And I will explain you what I mean. Um, Coming from an Italian background, We've always been a nation of savers for a number of reasons. First of being the fact that we always relied on our family, our government was always far and not providing much in terms of social safety net. So in a way, we had to save because there was no alternative. I mean, China is somehow similar. You can see that in China, for example, people save a lot because they can't rely too much. Even if it's a communist government, they cannot rely too much on a government for things like pensions or, or health care. So... Save is an important, saving is an important part of my life philosophy, but it's not only necessarily saving, it's more about being prudent. Prudence, that's the order of the day. What does it mean to be prudent? Well, it means first to have a long-term view. Um, my life is going to last, hopefully, another 40 years, maybe less, maybe more. It's a lot of time. My business, the business I work for, uh, unfortunately very often is managed on a quarterly basis and that's I think one of the biggest problems with the modern business culture is the focus on the short term, whereas most successful businesses usually have a long-term view. And that's why, for example, some business prefer to stay private. I don't want to go to the stock market, I don't want to deal with the quarterly reviews because I want to build X and X requires capital requires resources and requires people not harassing me with their question about how am I not going to do share buyback. So if I have the money, I'd rather not go to the stock market. Okay. Anyway, let's not diverge. Um, So to build resilience is to build reserves. Now imagine, for example, if you're a cyclist doing a long it's another passion of mine, cycling. Doing a long competition, you have to have energy reserves to be able to 
carry the race until the end. You build the reserves, these reserves with training and with the right food. Now, this is not too different than building financial resilience. How do you do it? I, I talk, talked about a little bit in the first mm, segment of this episode about needs and wants. What do you need? What do you want? What is necessary? What is nice to have? Now, in modern business parlance, there are a lot of uh, techniques to do this kind of uh, analysis, the SWOT analysis, the threats, risk management, risk assessment. I'm, I would like to give uh, actionable uh, tips to the average person, so a person that maybe doesn't even have a financial background. So I will keep it simple. Needs and wants. What you need and what you want. That's where you start. So you take a nice piece of paper, you divide it twice, you take most of your expenses, food, uh, transportation, uh, leisure, because you need leisure. I mean, it's not true that you need even function, just work and sleep, work and sleep. And go item by item, very honestly, what is the price of the need? What is the price of the want? Then you compare this with your income. And that's where you know where you can build the reserves of where you can't. And uh, most of the times it's not so necessary. My advice is also not to, I mean, to get detailed enough, but not too detailed. What does it mean? Um, probably there are four or five items on your expenditure list that cover 80% of your expenditures. Probably. Um, start there. Because also getting too, in too much details, then you get lost in the details and it becomes a tedious exercise and then you don't do it and then you're back to square one. So start to see what you can reasonably want versus what you need. You might be surprised once you start to look at the needs, how little you really need to function. Also because there is a certain beauty in keeping your life simple, in not overloading yourself with stuff, with things. I mean, of course, I'm talking from a fairly privileged point of view. I mean, I never really experienced poverty. I mean, poverty in the sense that we consider poverty. I mean, I was never that rich, I was never poor, so probably that's why I also like this middle-of-the-road kind of solutions. But anyway, needs and wants. Again, apartment, three rooms versus five. Center versus uh, suburbs. CTX versus CDY. Transport, car. Do you need a big SUV or you can do with a, with a notchback? Do you need a new car versus uh, a used car? Some people, you know, if you are someone who drives a Uber for a living, of course you're going to need a nice new car, because otherwise people are not going to call you. But if you are someone that just commutes from one place to the other, probably hatchback with a reasonable amount of space is going to do, and probably buying a used car, three years old used car that costs you 10,000 euros is going to do the job as well and as much as, uh, as uh, a fancy new car with uh, all the bells and whistles. 
So, debt. So the first thing is it's about expenses. Then there is income. Income is a bit more complicated. Um, let's talk about the balance sheet a second. So not the flow that goes in and out, but your stock. So what you have. What you have not necessarily only in terms of asset, but also in terms of liabilities, your debt. You should be religiously, religiously against having debt. Especially, you should be religiously against having debt for assets that are depreciating. So, what is clear example? A car. Leasing a car is very rarely a good idea. And with the car, I can, in general, financing your consumption to debt is, generally speaking, not a good idea. If you need to make debt to buy it, probably you shouldn't buy it in the first place. But anyway, list your liabilities and start to see if push comes to shove, what can be taken off the list and what can't. For example, let's say that you have uh, a credit card with a certain limit and you tend to maximize it every month. Probably you might want to start to look at ways to reduce that exposure towards your credit card company. At the end of the day, it's an holistic approach. You reduce your expenses, you focus on the need rather than on the wants, even though a few wants you have to need. To, to keep because you don't want to become, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit sad. I mean, of course, I mean, if you're in a very tough situation, this doesn't apply to you, then it's different. I'm talking about the average person, my imaginary friend, middle-class friend who is uh, like a mid-ranking uh, executive or, or uh, an employee of a nice corporation with a little bit of responsibility, managed to save a little bit, or he could manage to save a little bit. So the first thing is like, draw this list, and go through the major items, cover 80% of your expenses, and see what is need and what is want. Do you need to focus only on the need as a gain? Again, no, but you can at least have in mind where you can revert to the need and how fast can you revert to the need if, for example, you lose your job. That gives you a little bit of mental tranquility that you're not going to starve, that you're not going to um, lose everything, that you're not going to become destitute or you're not to, going to become under a bridge. Then, let's look a second at the income. What is that, that pays the bill every month? See, the job. Then you might well focus on your job or on your employability. If you're not an entrepreneur, you're not going to become an entrepreneur overnight. Not everyone is born to be an entrepreneur. So maybe keep yourself up to date. Keep on looking for a job even when things are not that bad because you never know and also to see what is your employability if you see that you let's say one week you decide to make an experiment and sends out a few cvs if you get answers means everything is okay you might decide to pursue them or not if you don't get answer probably you should ask yourself a question whether you are in the spot where you are really employable The same applies to the need for, for training. I mean, that means that probably you might want to get your training up and polished because you might not be as employable as you thought you were because you had the security of a job. Again, needs and want. If you know how much you need to live, you also need what kind of jobs can give you that amount of money. So you also know that should you choose you 
choose to leave your job, you have some slack to uh, get out of the closet for the time that you're looking for a new job, your retraining and so on. Or if your job doesn't allow you to pay at least for the needs, then probably it's not the job you should have or you should cut the needs. But usually that's why you need to be very honest about your needs. You cannot cut the needs. That those, that's why they're called needs. And in the needs there should always be place for healthy food, because if you get sick, it's not a nice place to be. For, uh, let's say, reliable transportation, doesn't need to be a car, it can be public transport, so maybe you should choose your point of living in a place close to a node where you have access to reliable public transport. And space for a modicum of physical activity, for the same reason that I was talking about, and space for your relationships. Because if you mess up your marriage, that's not going to help your resilience. So it's a matter of, yeah, needs and wants. That's it. Then uh, let's look a second about your assets. Do you have any savings? If you don't have any savings, start to build them. Start to build them because it's a powerful thing to have some money in the bank. You don't need to have a lot. Even sometimes having a month or two months worth of expenses, you go to bed in a different mindset. And so you build also the resilience in the mind that we were talking about. So start to build your savings. Have always in mind the fact that um, you should treat your own money sparingly. Uh, Portfolio diversification is a nice theory, but when it comes to your finances, probably my advice would be to allocate 80% of your savings to very low risk, very high liquid assets. So something that if push comes to shove, you can monetize as fast as possible. And with 20% of your asset, look for return, meaning invest them in more high risk, high reward investments. That might not be the case for uh, everyone, because if you don't have enough money, let's say if you have 1,000 euros, 800 euros versus 200 is not going to change your circumstances. But if you start to have, let's say, 20, 25,000 euros, it starts to be a little bit different. You might want to put, I don't know, 5,000 in your stock market and look for a little bit of return, at least to beat the inflation, and uh, 20,000 in more stable, let's say, government bonds or a small rental apartment, talking of which, talking of which, that's true both for business and for, for, for people, finance things according to their lifespan. If you're financing a depreciating asset which with, a, with, with, with a time span of three months, or three years, don't finance it with a long-term liability, where you are going to end up underwater. If you're financing a house, mortgage is obvious. So try always to keep a certain level of correlation between the financial inflows and the financial outflow, between the life of the asset and the life of the liability that you use to finance it. So if you're building, a, uh, let's say, if you're a business owner and you want to build a new piece of a plant, you might as well use long-term financial means, being it your own capital or being it long-term banking 
facility like a loan or a, or a whatever kind of means you might use to finance it. Usually it's a loan, most of the times. Whereas for your daily expenses, you can use your short-term liabilities. So for example, if you're a person, you can use your credit card to pay daily, keeping in mind that credit card and generally short-term financing is expensive. So you need to have a, sol a solid religious habit to zero in your credit card at the end of each month. Why? Because that slack in the credit card, those 2,000 euro, 3,000 euro, might come very handy when needed. So it's another way to build the financial, to build the mental resilience and to build financial resilience. Keep yourself a credit line that is untapped so that if you need it, you can use it. This applies to businesses. It applies to people. Keep always a certain minimum amount of cash to cover at least, uh, let's say, amount of expenses. For a company, this is much more complicated. As I was saying in my previous episode of cash management, ideally, I would say that you should be able to cover a quarter of expenses rather than a month. As a person, my rule of thumb, I mean, I'm not a scientist, so if you want a theoretical background for my opinions, I'm not able to, to give it. It's just life experience of someone who has been in finance for 20 years and has been managing his finances for 20 years. Keep a month of cash at the end is always a good idea. More than a month is inefficient, less than a month is dangerous. Simple as that. Um, keep your cash compartmentalized, meaning you should prioritize, of course, your life saving expenses versus everything else. You should keep, if you have a business, you should keep your business and your family finances strictly separated. I cannot stress this hard enough. It will allow you to sleep better at night. Talking of which, if you don't sleep, you're not going to be resilient at all. You're going to get mad very damn fast. So, um, the first thing to do is to limit your risk by keeping finances separated. So that if something goes wrong on one side, you can rely on the other side to help you. Business go wrong, okay, you close the business, but you still have a little bit to feed your family, at least while you figure out what to do. Family goes wrong, that can happen, at least your business keep on working and is going to be able to generate the resources to go back on your feet. I know it sounds trite and it sounds simple, but I don't have a better, a better way to boot it. Right? And when it comes to business, uh, prudence uh, takes the form of a strict oversight of expenses. Not of investment, of expenses. What is the difference between an expense and investment? And that's how you should treat all, all your expenses. I'm spending money. I'm buying something. Does this uh, contribute to generate additional resources or not? 
if it doesn't generate additional resources, it's an expense. Do you still need to have expenses? Yes, you do, because some expenses are unavoidable. Think about the rent. Even though you might argue that actually that contributes to generate resources because you use that place of work, the place of business to, to generate income. But in general, it's an expense. If you're buying a piece of equipment, you might want to be less conservative with the quality of the equipment that you buy. You must be conservative with everything else. Very successful business like, for example, Ferrero, they are dead focused on their overheads. But when it comes to buying the equipment to, to do their production, you can bet that they're not going cheap. The same applies even in your own, uh, in your own life. I mean, let's say you, you need to buy a goat. How cheap can you go? You don't want to be too cheap because if the coat breaks after three weeks, that's not a good coat. And then two cheap coats probably cost less than one expensive one. But if the expensive one covers the life cycle of five cheap coats in the end, it's better value. So it's about value in the end. And anyway, prudent approach to expenses is the order of the day. Again, the best way to do this is to develop the habit of looking at every expense. Develop the habit to look at every expense. Once you start to um, look at expenses, you, it's a lot easier to assess whether it's need or want, whether it's necessary or it's unnecessary, whether you really have the ability to afford that expense or not but the best way is to track 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 at the end of the day it's, it's obviously it's so many people that i know don't do it I'm, I'm guilty as charged i mean sometimes i also refuse to track my expenses because maybe i'm in a period in which i have other priorities and you can't be always counting the pennies plus i don't think counting the pennies is a very clever strategy unless you're living on pennies you should count 80, 75, 80% of your expenses and the rest you can be a little bit less focused. I mean, the famous 80-20 principle, I hate the 80-20 principles, but there is some truth in it. So when it comes to, to expenses, you track them, you track the major items, and that usually allows you to build a decent habit of know when to spend money or not. Um, Prudence, what does it mean also? It means that you need to allocate your energy wisely. If you want to avoid to end up this destitute, I'm not saying poor because poverty can affect everyone. You lose a job, you get a divorce, I mean, you can have periods in which you're poor, and that's fine. It's different to become destitute, to become desperate. Because that means that you don't have the ability to rebuild, to get back on your feet. Uh, the first thing that comes obvious is uh, sleep well. So try to get your night of sleep because going, uh, 
going with sleep deprivation is probably the worst idea you can have when I'm talking about direct experience. I mean, some of the worst stupid decision I took was in period in which I didn't sleep for a prolonged period of time. So if you're not sleeping, spend the money to see a specialist because that's an investment. It's an investment in your own health. Uh, avoid gambling. Gambling is irrational. Um, and it's also a fairly addictive activity. So avoid gambling and avoid the, you know, avoid the situation in which you wouldn't be proud of being found. That's my best advice. Would we be proud to be found uh, as a, you know, immoral, uh, lascivious, uh, person I very that much doubt so so probably if it feels wrong listen to your guts and don't do it you might think I'm straying out of topic because you say ah we're talking about financial resilience and now you're talking about don't gamble well it's very much connected because if you waste money you're not going to get resilient and you're going to put yourself in a situation in which you might decide to cut corners to get back on your feet. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Um, practice moderation, practice tracking your expenses, practice understanding the difference between the need of and the want and act on that. That's my best advice to build resilience. That applies to a business, it applies to a uh, personal finance. I can give you the example of my coffee business. I closed it. It didn't fail. It's important. Because I closed it. You know, revenues were not as high as they, they, they should have been. Margins were not great. The amount of work that I had to put into it to, to earn that margin was absolutely incommensurate compared to what I was earning. It was fun. That I can tell you is also because it's fun to say I'm an entrepreneur rather than being employees of whatever company. However, it was just not worth it. How did I know that it was not worth it? Simple. I calculate my personal hour wage out of the business and it came in the low single figure euros per hour. And if I would have gone in a cleaning job, I would have got two digits euros per hour so it's obvious that it's not worth it um, but by deciding how much money I wanted to invest I could afford to lose money I wanted to invest and by deciding not to use any leverage and not to use any um, any um, aggressive financial trick I managed to pay my suppliers to pay the people that were helping me and close it more or less breaking even. So, I say, but hey, maybe you would have grown it. Yes, I could have grown it. However, uh, by looking at how the trends were and starting to look from a, a detached point of view, so not the person that is doing it, but let's say, uh, let's look at this business like a shareholder. So like someone who has uh, an interest but doesn't have uh, an emotional attachment to it. How does it work? You start to look at the markets, start to look, see that the specialty coffee business is absolutely oversaturated. Everyone is producing specialty coffee, even, even Ikea 
is producing specialty coffee. I saw specialty coffee in Ikea, which is the very uh, opposite of the idea of specialty coffee, because if Ikea is selling it, it's not specialty. However, they're selling specialty coffee, and they have an ability to dish out money for uh, marketing that I will never have. So probably my idea of getting into the specialty business of coffee selling was biased by a confirmation bias because I wanted really to do that because I like coffee, because it's my daily habit, it's a market that I know very well. However, I didn't, I know very well the the procurement of of the material, I don't know very well the down stream business the consumer market and if you don't know the consumer market if you don't understand the consumer market it's difficult to be an entrepreneur i know the procurement probably would work as a as a buyer as a finance manager for a coffee buying business i probably was mistaken to take the decision to to be uh, an intermediator a trader of coffee simple as that the prudent financial decision that I took allowed me to learn this mistake and I'm probably looking at something else. In fact, I'm looking for occupation and I'm looking as a consultant or as an employee, doesn't matter. I'm looking to work in an area that I know very well, which is the procurement of these raw materials, and not improvise myself as something I'm not, which is a salesman. My I learned to how to sell. I could, but probably knowing myself a bit, I'm, I will not. I'm not going to go, go to become a great salesman. I was never a great salesman. I mean, that's something also that I think you can learn for sure. But I prefer to uh, play on my strength. So I know how to understand risk. I know how to assess risk. I know how to value the economic impact of a risk. I know it through years and years of career, of course, I can still get it wrong. Probably that's where I should go rather than going into selling and promoting and marketing, which is something that I find amazing. I find it creative. I have a lot of respect for people who do it. It's just not my cup of tea. So this has been probably my longest episode so far, and it's something that I could go on for ages talking about because it's the, the issues that I've been facing for the last close to 20 years and it's I reckon it's difficult to get very concise and very practical on a topic such how to avoid getting hammered by life. I try to give a few a few tips so my summary for this uh, for this episode is not a kind of episode that I'm going to do very often is uh, as for the first segment of the episode is uh, be prudent look at your expenses look at your circumstances as it was as, it, as they were not yours so look from different points of view that's that's what you need to do with everything with the behaviors with people with relationship try always to understand what are the interests and what are the what kind of skin you have in the game and act accordingly when it comes to the more specific topic of financial resilience the lesson is simpler but it's the same 
be prudent in what you do. Always have in mind what are your what are your major expenses, what is your strength in terms of generating income. If you're a worker, always get in a position where you have the possibility to be employed or the possibility to leave a job or the possibility to lose your job. So keep a few weeks of worth of expenses in cash so that if stuff happens you're ready and you can sleep better at night. Look for ways to compress your expenses but understand what you need and what you want. The necessary from the nice to have. And the only way to do it is to be very honest and write it down. I can share with you if you need my own tool which is a simple Excel worksheet anyway, it's nothing super fancy. And uh, always remember that being resilient is not about the amount of damage that you can take, it's not about the amount of money that you can spend, it's about your ability to bounce back when you are going to be hit. In finance terms, it can be the closure of your business, can be the loss of your job. So the only way to be resilient is to be prepared, to be trained, to make the exercise of being prepared a daily occurrence of your own life. Be prepared, look daily, if not daily, at least weekly, on your finances, on your expenses, on your income, and keep always a little cushion hidden somewhere, something you don't touch. Being a bit of money, being a bit of uh, um, credit lines, avoid debt whenever possible. The less debt, the more freedom, and freedom is good. And always remember, you're not alone, so the most important asset you, you can have is your community, your family, your community, your friends, nurture that because they will come jolly handy when push comes to shove. Thank you for uh, tuning in and for listening to this fairly long rant. And uh, please feel free to connect uh, if you want a bit more specific advice, uh, if I can help you, if I can support you with your specific circumstances, or if you want to share your own circumstances, because sometimes even talking about something is the first way to look for a solution. Just putting it in words, help. So that's everything for today. Uh, tomorrow I'm planning to do a show in Italian. It's going to be a fixed feature, which I will call Il Sabato Italiano. It's uh, something that in which I would talk about Italy. So uh, uh, I would be glad if my Italian listening community would tune tomorrow for my next chapter of this little adventure. Wish you a nice weekend and stay safe out there.